This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome, everybody. It's the locker room, and we are wide open for business. It's a fabulous, what, Tuesday. Let's make sure we get our days straight. Because on account of last yesterday, I was out and about doing a little bit of a MCing, right? You got to do the MC stuff. So I had to put on my tux, and I had to head out to up on Mount Washington, and there was a fundraiser, and it was for Adventures in Training with a Purpose, which, of course, is the great John Kolb's um, charity that he's uh, started. And um, it has to do with working with people that the insurance industry has given up on. They go through rehab, things of that nature. And John just brings them in, and uh, there's so many people that are unable to um, finish their rehab due to financial concerns. And John fills that need, be it veterans, be it people that are around. It's If you go to Adventures in Training with a Purpose, it's a fabulous organization, and they really put the they're the hands and feet of Jesus to so many people who need some help. And it was just a pleasure, a privilege, and an honor to be there. Of course, with the great John Kolb, who is a Hall of Honor winner, and a guy going into the Hall of Honor uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. There's going to be a, a Saturday ceremony, and I, I, anybody that can get tickets that, you ought to get out there because that'll be a great event. But, Max, I got to tell you something, man. It was so cool being out there. Yes, I had to wear a tux, dude. All right, I'm wearing a tux. Here's the problem. All right, I tell my wife, my bride, okay, I say, it's a good lady faith, I say, um, and I, I need to buy me a, a, a tux at some point because the last couple of years, I've, you know, you, you do a little emceeing, and so it's better to go get one rather than have to try to rent one all the time. So, Max, I go and I say to my, my, my girl, I says, uh, okay, I got to buy it. She says, you don't need one. I said, yeah, you know, I mean, come on. I gotta she says, all right, here's, here's the deal. We'll buy one. If you wear it at all appropriate events, they're like, okay, fine. Well, little I know that uh, mowing the lawn and getting the mail was a black tie affair, bud. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, oh it's geez. brutal. It ain't easy being me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, I mean, awesome. Kudos to you, Wolf, first of all, and, and to John um, for creating such a, such a great platform to help people and reach out to them. Well, that's uh, John. It's all John. I got nothing to well, do no, with but, it other but, than. But, but, I, no, no, no. but, but you, I, I'm saying you because you emceed his event oh, wow. to help with the fundraising. Okay. So, yeah. But, um, but no, I mean, that, that, that's a great thing. You have the opportunity to see that and, and give back in your own way. So kudos to you. Blessings. Uh, yeah. And then blessings of faith, making you uh, wear a tuxedo <laughs> on the riding lawnmower. <laughs> Now, do you have to, like, when you get the mail and deliver oh. it back in the house, do you need a silver platter? Do you have to, like, take the silver platter off and hand it No, the she hasn't gone that far, let me tell you. Okay. <laughs> Are you polishing silver in your free time? Uh, you know, I think that's my next move. I think that's yeah. what I'm going to be so doing. You're so you're turning into a butler more so than a fancy affair guy. <laughs> All right. It's a, that, now it's a uniform. It's <laughs> a uniform, man. I got to go around the house doing this stuff. Yeah. Tell me that your wife has not ever put you in a situation where you had to do something. You know what I mean? You're all, all the time. <laughs> all the time. What are you talking about? It, just, it doesn't stop. It just wasn't a tuxedo. I mean. <laughs> oh, my yeah. goodness, yes. That's oh, yeah. so cool. Ma 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 Max can do it. Ma Max can <laughs> Max talk can do it. He can do any of that. Yeah, he, you know? he can work on this committee. Yeah. No, go ahead. How many committees are you on? 
Seriously. Uh, more, more than my fair share. Yeah, that's, uh, that's oh, my goodness. I, you know, I'm. Only one school committee, thank goodness. Oh, really? Okay. I'm not a yeah. committee guy. I, you know, the details of details just totally flummox me. You know, I mean, the, I miss all those little things. I, I, like I say, I suffer from amnesia. You know, the incessant ramming of your head over the years. You know, you, you get a little amnesia from that thing. And which, by the way, as I always point out, it's a great tool to be able to use to, you know, offer to all the guys out there that uh, if you have that, then you know, when your wife asks you to do something, you forget. Well, <laughs> hey, honey, you know, I suffer from that thing, that amnesia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh? Uh, huh? What, what was that? Hey, I, I got pants on. I'm good. No. <laughs> get some pants on, man. Oh, my goodness. So, Max, it's good to see you, my friend. Did you get some rest last night? Because, you know, you, you had a busy weekend. You were up in Green Bay and traveling and everything else. How are you? Yeah. I, I, you know what? I'm better today. I got a little bit more rest <laughs> yesterday. Um, you know, but it was uh, it, it's still one of those things, like, I have a lot to do later on today. Yeah. So, as as you talk about those committees, I have I have to do the load in. We have a we have a par three tournament for the Fiesta Bowl. Oh so my goodness! I, I got to go load in um, as part of one of my shifts because I can't work the extra shifts because it goes till Friday. Mm-hmm. Because I got the Marshall game this right. weekend. Right, you got Marshall and who? Uh, Florida International University. Okay, so Florida FIU. FIU. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Butch Davis is the head coach down there. Really? <laughs> yeah, Butch. <laughs> No yeah, kidding. So, do you so meet yeah, with the guys to... ahead of time? Yeah, yeah. So, we, well, so I do those meetings on Thursday. Okay. Yeah. So now, do so you guys I'm Zoom meeting or, or in person? They're, they're 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 making a Zoom now. Yeah. Everything doesn't want everything yeah. in person. So, which is funny because, like, you know, we look at like SEC; they want you in person. <laughs> really. But Conference USA, Pac twelve, uh, Big twelve, they're all uh, Zoom. So, so I was like, all right, okay. Well, that makes my life easier because then I don't have to fly in and right, have to crack right. the dawn to make sure I'm getting to practice and then meeting with the coaches. So if we can do it on Zoom on Thursday. My board is done when I get on the airplane, and I just fly fly with my board finished. And then whatever last second adjustments. That's the only other thing you worry about is last second adjustments. Yes, you know with COVID protocols because like right, you saw right. Devonte Adams Thursday night game. Get gets pop with a with the COVID protocol yesterday, so I'm like, man, that would suck. Three days notice, and then something changed, but it can change within like two days. It changes so fast. I mean, and yeah. really, it, it, Tunch always used to say the landscape of the NFL changes weekly. All it takes is one injury, one COVID test, one whatever. And all of a sudden, a team that is riding high can suddenly be riding low. A team that has been riding low suddenly can perk up and get something done. You know what I mean? You think about the Steelers coming into this before when they were at 1-3 and three and a lot of people are going, hmm, boy. But you rally, you come out, you, you, you fight to a 3-3, three and three, and you go into the bye. You have that opportunity to pick it up and, and carry it forward. And so one of the things I was thinking about today was, what do you, what would be the biggest two or three concerns coming out of the bye? And we're going to throw that open to all the folks, 412-919-1316. If you are concerned about something coming out of the bye week, what would be your biggest concerns? And, Max, I, I can, I'll throw one out at you right now. My, my, my biggest concern is the disparity between halves that defensively we've undergone. 
that's a bit of that's something that makes you go hmm you know uh you whether it's the Raiders game whether it's the Broncos whether it's the Seahawks the disparity of things happening um is is a little bit much for me you know I mean you take it whether it's lack of tack, uh, lack of poor ta- I mean poor tackling or lack of takeaways or not being able to get off the field on third downs and it, maybe it's got something to do with schematics but the difference between the two halves has been so noticeable that it really makes you sit up and go, as Myron would say, hmm ha. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the lesser point of kind of that overall theme, the macro theme that you have, I, I was going to say perimeter tackling. I mean, tackling mm-hmm. in general is can that improve? Did you do the requisite things to improve that? That would be my, that would be my first concern, um, and that and that's for the defense offensively it would be tr- did we learn anything with not motioning as much can we eliminate the cute stuff mm-hmm. and get to the and get more to the physical stuff okay offensively meaning are we using more of our three tight end sets and two tight end sets and fullback and tight end sets can we get to that so we can get to the baseline of what this offensive identity is? Because we still don't really have an identity. So we're still in identity crisis mode as an offense. So establishing an identity, which I think we've seen what the success model is, right? Najee 20 right, and utilizing tight ends. We're winning when we do those two things so far. I First like where you're going defense. with that. Now, the thing I'm going to ask you, the poor tackling, because this is what is just kind of messes with you. You don't have poor tackling in the first half, but you got some in the second half. And it it almost leads me to believe that schematically there's there's something lacking there, you know, in the sense of with the schematics or not adjusting quick enough, what have you. But the ability to right yourself, such as they did in the fourth quarter, after that third quarter – and and part of that is you know as a professional, all right, you got to get grounded again, all right. I got to come back to you know um, feet, face, hands, as as Tom Bradley would say. You know, you're talking about your 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 you know you each one of us in our positions, we all have little quips. Um, back in my day, with especially with Chuck Knoll, run blocking was all about under and up. All right, you got to get under and up, and you're going to roll off that front foot, put your your chin right in the guy, uh, your forehead right in the guy's chin and ripped to rack with the fist to the chest. But it was all under the guise of under and up. You had those little quippy sayings to get you grounded back in your technique. You know, and, and that's what, I, as I watch them with the tackling, they tackle well in the first half, second half, things start to get unraveled a little bit, but then they seem to right themselves at some point. Um, you know, so that's what, that's, yeah, and, and it does come down to tackling. You've got to be able to root yourself together. Yeah, and I, I'll even go further. That Seattle game, the poor tackling was in the first half too. They just had bigger hits. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's yeah, that's a valid yeah. point. So, so that was one of the things that, as I was watching the game, I was like, "Man, this tackling isn't clean in the first half." But they're making plays and making big hits, and then in the second half, you're like, "They're not making the big hits, and they're just missing tackles." Yeah. Um, so, so that was that was my observation. So I'm hoping that they, <coughs> they looked at it and they said, "This was the entire game, and just 
the right guys were in place to make those tackles in the first fourth quarter, but the guys that need to make the tackles need to make those in the first quarter so they have confidence going into the fourth quarter and not depending on, like you said, TJ to be the big play guy, Cam to be the big play guy, you know, Devin Bush when he, you know, making the biggest play of the game uh, at the end in overtime. But you need to have guys making those sure tackles and feeling confident about it. And like you said, it's taking the extra step. One extra step determines a tackle versus a highlight reel the other way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, no, I gotcha. That's how small one step is. The difference. It can go two different ways. And you don't want to be on somebody else's highlight film. No. No, that, you know, I, I remember Tunch's worst game. I've, I've had my own worst games. But I just remember it was um, against Lyle Elzato back in 82 Ooh. in the playoffs. And I ended up giving three sacks up. And, and the poor guy got tortured all offseason because it was a final game. But then the highlight or the low light was the next year they ran a commercial featuring Lyle Elzato and <laughs> – yeah, poor Tunch was in one of those commercials as, uh, you know, being victimized by Lyle Elzato. And it, I just remember Tunch goes, I'm never going to live this down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But no, there I he agree. goes. He's a Hall of Honor guy, pro bowler and everything else. So he did he did overcome it, no question about it. But I remember he, he, you he don't want to okay. be on somebody else's highlight film. Exactly. And he has his own punch. Absolutely. Tunch's punches. I mean, That's that right. was – So, I mean – Listen, so, you know, I think he did okay, but, yeah. And we've all been there. Everybody, If you play long enough, you will get got. That is the oh, rules yeah. of the game. Nobody comes unblemished. You know, even the great Aaron Donald, you know, has been put on his back. Cam yes. Hayward, sadly to say it, even though he still happens. Play, has been put on his back before. It happens to the best of us. I remember getting tearing my ACL, falling backwards, and getting reverse pancake and, and – and uh, Robert Ayers took Ben down for a sack. That's the worst possible play you could have because it's like, boom, leg gives out, guy's over the top, and he reaches for the quarterback. It doesn't get any more embarrassing. <laughs> so. yeah, that, that It's hilarious just because last night one of the guys that I was with was a great Larry Brown, who's a Steelers legend, a Hall of Honor recipient, a great, great offensive tackle, a guy that actually made two guys, Mark Gastineau, and uh, Fred Cook from from uh, Baltimore quit rushing the passer. He punched so hard, it's like he'd push your sternum into your spine. You know, he could just hit these guys so hard. So anyhow, it, Bubba was, it, we always used to say his triceps were so big when he walked into the room, his, his triceps came in five minutes later. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> he's one of those guys, you know, but I remember him telling me, I said, I saw him a couple of years after he retired, you know, and I was still playing. And I said, uh, so boss, I go, do you ever miss playing? He goes, you know, I have this picture of Ben Williams because everybody's got a Ben Williams in, in, in your career. All right. Ben Williams was a defensive end for the Buffalo Bills. Robert Ayers might have been your moment. All right. Rulon Jones from Denver was my moment. El Lyle Alzado was Tunches. He goes, so whenever I start missing the games, I have this picture. There's Bradshaw on the ground up in Buffalo with me with my back laying on top of him with Ben Williams over the top of the two of us. He goes, I look at that for about mm, three seconds. He goes, no, it passes. I don't, I don't, I don't miss the game anymore. <laughs> exactly. I'm telling you, like I said, if you've played long enough, everybody's been got. So 
I mean, it, it, it's just an, it's just the nature of the beast. It's the nature of physical competition between men. All right, we're gonna we're gonna take a break right now. I think we got the great Bob Labriola coming up next segment, uh, and we'll be yeah, we'll have labs right here in the locker room. If I've not got my times screwed up, so we'll be right back after this. This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. And we're back in the locker room. And, of course, we are joined at this time by our great buddy, friend of the show, Steelers historian, editor of Steelers Digest. That would be Bob Labriola Labs. How you doing, my friend? How are you all? We're doing good. You know, we're in the locker room, and... We're, we're, we're voicing concerns this morning. One of the things that we're uh, voicing concerns over is, uh, you know, for Max and I, the different things coming out of the bye that may be a problem for the Steelers and what is the resolution to them. And I know that you, you voice concerns too. You know, we all, got, we all got our issues as far as we see from watching our Steelers. But my main thing is the disparity in the halves, defensively speaking, um, you know, be it the poor tackling or the lack of takeaways or not getting off the field on third downs. But the, the, the difference between what went on, you know, let's say in the Raiders two halves, the, the uh, Seattle two halves, the Denver two halves, um, t- to me that, that got me a little bit concerned. What about you? What are you feeling? Well, I mean, um, you know, Wolf, I'll, uh, I'll use a phrase that uh, you heard a bunch of times during your career. Uh, back to basics. Got to stop the run first. <laughs> yeah. Got to stop the run first. I mean, that was, you know, the, the whole um, either being blocked or poor tackling in the second half against Seattle. Um, that's that's just you can't you can't win games in the NFL, um, you know, with that kind of defensive performance. Um, you know, I think the Steelers were fortunate against Seattle, you know, they went in to the second half with, with a bit of a cushion, a 14 nothing lead, and so that certainly helped. But, you know, um, looking at, you know, the next opponent, the, the Cleveland Browns, I mean, they're, they're, they're a, um, I won't say a lead running team, but they're pretty darn good at it. And the Baltimore Ravens aren't bad either. And so four of the Steelers' final 12 games are against those two teams and um, got to do a better job of stopping the run. I think the, the guys on the defensive line uh, have to do better uh, of not getting blocked as, as efficiently as they were in the second half against the Seahawks. And, you know, the guys on the back seven or eight need to, you know, make tackles. Uh, be in the right spots and make tackles. And if that doesn't improve, all of this feel good over this um, you know, two-game winning streak and being 500 at the bye, I think that will evaporate quickly. Yeah, Labs. And, and so my concern was establishing an offensive identity out of the bye because we're still kind of questioning what their identity is on the offensive side of the ball. And hopefully they establish that, which is, you know, I said the two main ingredients was not motioning and allowing yourself to be a run first team. And then second was utilizing your tight ends to the best of your abilities and and having formations that, 
that highlight those type of things um, because I think we can easily, are, you know, put in the, in the equation when you throw the ball to your tight ends and Najee Harris rushes for 20-plus times. I mean, it, well, it takes carries, I should say, 20-plus carries a game um, and not just touches. We are a team that's a lot different than the ones during our losses. Can't argue with that. But let me just throw this in, too, in terms of, um, you know, the offensive identity. Um, you know, I, I may have said this to you guys last week. Um, in my opinion, the Steelers wide receivers have underachieved as a group. And, um, you know, that needs to change a little bit, too. Uh, I think that, that when you look at the, uh, the depth chart on paper, it indicates that there is more there, more meat on the bone than uh, what we have seen actually in terms of production during the games. And you know, I don't, I'm not saying that the Steelers should go back to last year, you know, throwing the ball 40, 50 times. But they do need, you know, as Mike Tomlin always says, you know, the chunk plays eliminate a lot of execution uh, because right. you don't have to run as many plays. And so, you know, these guys need to start making some plays down the field maybe when uh, the balls aren't perfectly thrown or, um, you know, they, they haven't uh, definitively and clearly uh, beaten the coverage. Um, you know, uh, again, help the quarterback out sometimes. I want to see more plays where at the conclusion of them, you, you kind of look at it and say, wow, was that a great play by the receiver on that? Um, so yeah, I just add that to your list, Max. And I think that, uh, that would go a long way to helping that offense. You know, the th other thing that I had some concerns about was the way they started the game. And it all leads to what you're talking about labs, because when you're running at about averaging about 2.3 points a in the first quarter, that to me, based on also the fact that you've got this wild swing sometimes in the defensively speaking, you got real problems, real issues, and a lack of the splash plays, so to speak, uh, by the offense, by the wide receivers, really in particular. Um, that's that is concerning, and you know, I, it's not like you can sit there and say, "Well, here's the, the the solution." I mean, if you look at Ben's stats, Kevin Colbert's favorite stat is going up. He's pushing the field, the ball down the field more so. He's over seven yards in his last couple games, I believe, if uh, if I read the right uh, uh, metrics on it, but. You know, the thing is, he's, he's attempting to push the ball further downfield. And I think, yeah, you've got to have some more go get them by the wide receivers. They do have some opportunities. I think Chase Claypool was very capable. He's, he's Ben's deepest target. He's averaging over 12 yards uh, average depth of target. And so I, I think it, it's got to come down to you got to beat your man. You got to make a play for your quarterback. You got to beat your man. I think you're right on in that area. Yeah. Um, you run on the money there, Wolf. Right For on one of the few times. You know what I mean? One of the few no, times. You know, blind squirrel, Wolf. Blind squirrel. That's the feeling that I use uh, for myself many times. I would be that guy. You know, um, so looking forward and, and moving forward from here, I hope that they continue to try to push the ball down the field more in the first, especially the first quarter such as what they have tried to do. You think about it. I think, wasn't it Green Bay? They got one to Deontay. Didn't, didn't uh, they had it in Seattle? Or was it Denver? 
Denver, they also yeah, well, got the Green Bay game. The Green Bay game and the Denver game. It, the, the first possessions were, I thought, uh, remarkably similar in that not only did the Steelers go down the field and score a touchdown on the game's opening possession, but the uh, you know the the big play, the play that got the ball in the end zone both times was a you know thirty plus yard completion to Deontay Johnson, relatively close to the same spot on the field both times. Yeah, no, I mean, and and that's the other thing. Fast starts also help with the confidence of a team as you proceed, right, Labs? I mean, I think that's kind of the biggest draw. But, you know, I think it also comes down to how you draw things up schematically and how you execute them. Because when you have both of those successes, those are the scripted plays. Those are the ones you pre-planned out that work to perfection. Now, it didn't necessarily go that way in the Seattle game. I think they got a little bit too cute. I think they got a little bit too much uh, 11 personnel in there, and that's why we saw it differently. And I think that's what led me to think identity crisis. You don't know what your identity is yet, and you're trying to go back to what you feel comfortable with as a coordinator versus what your personnel dictates. And I think that's where you, you want to see more sureness uh, from the offensive side of the ball of knowing who you are and playing to those strengths instead of guessing because your philosophy is something that's different than what your personnel is displaying right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about this, I know for sure. It's It's got to be about the players as opposed to scheme in order to win in the NFL. I mean, that's just the way that it is. Uh, and, um, you know, that, that just has to be an understanding by everyone uh, everyone from the, the head coach down to the last guy on the practice squad uh, that, you know, we're going to win with our, our players as opposed to what we think we can draw up in the dark rooms on Tuesdays. Uh, because it's, 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 I've, I've seen it um, just too many times um, ruin a team or ruin a team's, I've ruined a team's, I won't say their potential, but, um, you know, it just kind of uh, limits or lowers their ceiling, I think, if you get too enamored with, um, you know, the things that you want to, as the announcers say, dial up uh, during the game. I, I, I do believe that, um, you know, the way that the game has evolved, and I don't mean the, the game on the field, but the presentation of it, you know, you look at how the game is broadcast, how the game is covered um, with the telestrators and the guys in the extra, the second or third guys in the booth, all, a lot of them being quarterbacks or, you know, those kinds of uh, ex-players who kind of, I won't say fall in love, but are very interested in some of the X's and O's and those kind of things as opposed to, um, you know, just some of the real fundamentals of, uh, like, your guys' jobs when you played, you know, getting a hat on a hat so that the uh, running back who gets the ball on first and ten can gain four or more yards. I mean, those are the kinds of things I think that have, I won't say, you know, they've um, disappeared or anything, but it's not as sexy to talk about. Uh, it doesn't intrigue the fans, maybe. I don't think it intrigues the networks as much. Uh, they can't use all their uh, toys. 
that they have to, to broadcast the game. And so uh, the focus that we are fed as uh, observers, fans of NFL games has changed. Now we're talking about, you know, play design and, um, you know, those kinds of things as opposed to look how, for example, on offense, look how this tight end, you know, seals the corner so that this running play is a success or flip it around, look how this defensive end or outside linebacker sets the edge to um, kind of create the whole situation where uh, the other team's running play fails. Uh, these are the kinds of things that I just mentioned that are uh, at the at the foundation of consistent winning in the NFL. Um, and I just don't know that everyone understands that or is satisfied with the simple, with the, you know, doing the routine things mm-hmm. routinely. Um, and, uh, you know, you just, you, you kind of have to, as a team, as a coaching staff, as a roster, as an organization, you have to fight your way through that and not allow yourself to be seduced by, um, you know, the bells and whistles a lot of times because it's not necessarily those things that are the difference between winning and losing. You know, Lab, just switching gears here because we'll go to break after this, but I wanted to ask you, um, one of the guys, would you agree with me that probably the guy that surprised you most of the young bucks, the rookies coming out of the gates, was Trey Norwood, a seventh-round draft pick. When you take a look at, you know, you expected Najee to do some Najee things, and he, we've we've seen that. You expected Fryermuth to do some things that uh, you know would, you know, would a high draft choice like that. He's going to be, you know, and Kendrick Green and so forth. But Trey Norwood, I didn't see at all coming out and having the impact that he's had thus far with the defense. I mean, he's got a, almost a buck eighty in snaps. Um, to me, he's like the, the the guy that came out of nowhere to really claim some playing time. I, I find fascinating. Yeah, and you, you know, well, when when you're when you're in a, a situation like you know the NFL draft, and everybody's looking for defensive backs, and so if a guy isn't drafted until the seventh round, there's a reason. Right. Usually, it has to do with um, you know some of his measurables are not uh, as up to standard as teams would like, you know, or there's an injury history or, or whatever. Um, and so, you know, that was the thing with me with Trey Norwood. Uh, is he slow? Um, you know, what, what, what is it? Because, you know, um, um, he was referred to almost immediately as a Swiss army knife. He can play a lot of different positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's smart. Uh, he understands a lot of things, that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, not that I don't believe any of that, but, Let's just say I believed it all, 100%. But then why is he a seventh-round draft pick? Mm. And so, um, you know, obviously to me, whatever um, that was that helped Trey Norwood or made Trey Norwood a seventh-round pick, to this point in his NFL career, he has been able to overcome that deficiency uh, with some of his assets. And, um, you know, good for him. You know, and the Steelers are reaping the benefits. I think this is a guy who was it was explained to me by Mike Tomlin that he saw a lot of um, um, the Shea Townsend and then Will Gay in Trey Norwood. 
not necessarily, you know, the biggest or the fastest, but uh, an intelligence, a versatility, an understanding that uh, can make him or help him become a real asset to an NFL team. And I think that, you know, once Norwood continues to develop, uh, he's going to allow the Steelers to do some other things with some of their other defensive backs. And who knows, maybe he, in fact, helps the pressure packages by, you know, mucking up route combinations or showing up in a quarterback's vision where the quarterback doesn't expect him to be, maybe uh, causes the guy to hold on to the ball maybe a half second, a second longer than he wants to and gives TJ or Alex Highsmith, you know, or one of the other flamethrowers that extra step and a half, uh, you know, to stick their helmet in the quarterback's sternum. So, yeah, he's a guy I think that um, – has been a surprise, certainly to me. And I, I really think that uh, just about any seventh-round pick who is contributing as a rookie before Halloween is a surprise. <laughs> yeah. you, know, uh, you know, unless yeah. unless you're in such a state as a team where so many injuries or other circumstances have caused you to dip that far down into your depth chart, if you're able to get a guy, you know, because – in my mind, the best seventh-round pick of the Kevin Colbert area was era was Brett Kiesel. Right, Kiesel in October yeah. of his rookie year. I don't even know if he got a helmet. You know, I mean, it's absolutely just, he had some things. You know, he's a big guy, athletic, could run, um, but he, he he hadn't even developed yet as a special teams star that he would become uh, by the time Super Bowl Forty uh, rolled around in twenty oh five. So. Anytime you get Kelvin Beecham's another guy, you know, um, when you're getting that kind of quality playing time contributions from a seventh round pick that early in his career, you know, it says a lot for that player uh, and his ability to acclimate himself quickly to the professional game. Yeah, no, no doubt. I like both those picks. I played with both of those guys. So I'm excited <laughs> to hear that. Uh, those were great, and they were great finds. All right, one quick last question for me, Labs. Who needs to pick it up after the bye? What 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 starter needs to up their game? I know we talked about the wide receivers underperforming up to this point, but if you had to pick a player that needs to up his game for the second half, who would it be? Uh, well, since you mentioned the receivers, let's start there. Uh, I think Chase Claypool uh, can be a dynamic you know, game-changing down-the-field weapon. Um, you know, he's not even what he was as a rookie in that respect. And so, you know, maybe defenses are doing something to him. You know, I don't know. But uh, I think they need more splash from him. <clears throat> Flipping it over, I think the Steelers need more from Devin Bush. You know, I understand mm -hmm. he's coming off an ACL, uh, and a lot of times it's the second year that you come back from an injury like that where you're closer to being back to you were before the injury. Uh, but the Steelers need this guy. I mean, he needs to uh, not only deliver some, some splash, but also I think be more consistent uh, on a down to down basis uh, against what um, the, the opposing offense is trying to do. So I think those are two guys that when the season started, you would have looked at them and hoped 
if you were seeing the Steelers as a playoff contender, you would have hoped or expected them to be significantly contributing in their two areas. And I don't think that the the Steelers are getting what they need from them to this point in this season. Labs, we're going to go to break, and I want to thank you for taking the time to join us. I thought it was outstanding. Thank you for the conversation, brother. We appreciate you so very much. Thanks, Labs. All right, fellas. Behave yourself in Cleveland. Hey, Wolf. <laughs> yes. Don't take your – if you go down on the field, leave your helmet on. <laughs> you know that, brother. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back with more. you got Wolf, Starks, and the Ninjas in the locker room. ESPN Pittsburgh, Steelers Nation Radio. In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. You know, if you go to Steelers.com, you get some great writing, you get some great uh, video and everything else, all Steelers, uh, all things Steelers related. Mike Prezuda had a nice article up there that I really enjoyed, and it brought to memory one of the most significant plays of that first half. But it was a play that wasn't a play that captured my attention. I mean, you go back to the Green Bay game, and you got Mika Fitzpatrick blocking that field goal and then a 75-yard return for a touchdown late in the second quarter that was nullified by a supposed offsides Joe Hayden. Um, again, we went back to that. It wasn't – you look at that, there was no offsides. That gummit, that was a play that could have turned around really the whole – entirely the whole first – I don't know, uh, what, first, not half of the season because we're not officially at halfway point. But, you know, to be able to go out there and block a kick like that, how significant that would have been, and it could have been a turning point in that in that Green Bay game, it could have been ginormous, you know. And I don't know what you think about it, Max, but you look at that stuff, a, a block kick for a touchdown, like a pick six, those things are huge in the course of a game. Yeah, anytime you can score points when the offense is not on the field, you're working in the right direction. I think that was one of the key things, and, and you can get it from defense or special teams, and that was a huge uh, special teams opportunity. I mean, we look at what happened. Think about what happened in Buffalo and where Buffalo is yes. as a team. Um, that changed the course of that game. So, and you look at Green Bay, and you say Green Bay is, is a very similar team to Buffalo. Um, and that play going into, you know, halftime could have been a significant um, difference maker. And, you know, I mean, well, and, and let's just look at the state of kickers right now. You know, thank goodness for the one that we have. The Wizard of Boz. Yes. You know, you look around. I mean, Mason Crosby had another had another bl- uh, kick blocked um, this past weekend. Um, how many kickers have missed what we consider the mundane uh, Washington Cut Dustin Hopkins, uh, you know, a longtime kicker for them and a very accurate kicker, you know, had his slumps and everything else. Cut him for uh, Chris Blewett, a pit kid, a pit native that has not kicked since like 2016. The dude going into this game in 2021 was kicking his first NFL field goal. Um, so you look at those things and you're just like, man, I mean, thank God for Boz, but boy, if we could have had that opportunity, we could have had a completely different game. And 
it wouldn't have felt as comfortable for Green Bay at home. We could have put some pressure on them once again on an away venue um, and and had a difference maker. So I I think that was probably the pivotal play, which led to us being a 500 team and not an above 500 team because I think that could have gone a long way for changing the mentality of a team. I mean, it's it's all about mentality. When you get to this league level, it's – your natural God-gift ability got you up here. I mean, you're the top. You're talking about the top half percent of athletes that are playing in the NFL, right? In the football world, so that 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 that's quote unquote a neutralizer. Um, but your effort, attitude, and confidence are the differentiators between a team that's that that that's praying for a win and a team that's expecting a win. And if we would have had that. It would have changed the mindset, I believe, for the Steelers to be a team that was expecting a win because now you have another big points off of special teams execution um, and still a terrible play. And I'm not going to blame that on us being 500. But, boy, when you look at crossroad moments where you had to pick a path and, you know, go left or go right, and you tried to go left and got denied and you were forced to go right <laughs> – it does a lot for the mentality. You know, uh, you're, you're exactly correct. Um, again, you go back to that Buffalo opener and the fact that Miles Killebrew had that block and, and UG3 comes along with a scoop and score. And you that that score holds up in that 23-16 to 16 opening game victory in Buffalo. The impact of having a scoop and score pulled off on you is very demoralizing. It really kind of shocks a team. Because the special teams out there, you know, you expect, you know, uh, production as far as field position. Who's going to get the long field? Who's going to get the short field? That sort of thing. But when they actually score, that's an entirely different matter altogether. And that creates a problem. I mean, think about it. You go in at Green Bay, you go in 17, up 17-14 rather than down 17-10. You know, I mean, it's it's crazy, you know, and, and that big yeah. of an impact, if that had stood up. I mean, think about it, just the impact of watching Minka have that Minka magic moment and what that adds to the legend of Minka in, in situations where, you know, quarterbacks, sometimes they don't go his way because of, you know, his reputation as well as his ability to play. You know, I, it's not always about you making the big plays. It's the appearance of being that big playmaker at the moment, like you said, when your number flashes in a quarterback's view or, you know, you're out there as an offensive lineman and you know somebody out there has got the rep like a Reggie White or something like that and his numbers flash by you on a twist. I mean, there's a recognition factor that instantly puts you in a different level of, of readiness that uh, may not have occurred with a, a average player, shall we say. It's about accountability. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. I, I have to be accountable for that guy. This guy has been an emphasis in our meetings all week. Right. So if I see that number, I need to be on the cues because I've been conditioned to think that. That when this guy's in the area, uh-oh, <laughs> something something can happen. Danger, you know, Will Robinson. Law. Danger. The lost in exactly. space robot. Yeah, exactly. Murphy's Law kicks in, right? Yep. W- whatever can go wrong will go wrong. <laughs> you know. There are people it's, who do that to you. Yes. So, so yeah, exactly. So, that would have helped a lot. Um, and like you said, in the Green Bay game, that's a 10-point swing. And the Buffalo game was a 7-point swing. And those matter. Those matter in games when you have good on good. Those are the differences because 
that's something the offense for the other team can't account for. Exactly. It's different if I go down and score, then you come back down and score, right? There's an answer for it. There's no answer when a sudden change on an interception or a blocked kick. That's the difference maker. You know, I always think back when I start talking special teams, my one my one uh, opportunity to be a hero, and it was a Monday night football. It was right before halftime. We're playing in San Diego, right? <clears throat> and they onside kick to me. I'm at the center of the five guys up front, right? And that ball, oh. to this day, Max, I tell you to this day, I can see it in my mind's eye. And it's like I took a shot at NyQuil before, and it's bouncing slowly towards me, bouncing end over end with one little extra kick. And I remember reaching up with my gloved hands all taped up and everything and slapping them together like I was you know, smacking my hands together like I'm going to catch it. And right at Old that moment. Claw. <laughs> <laughs> right at that moment, the first headhunter came up and hit me right between the eyes. <laughs> And that ball, that ball just went elsewhere. I don't even know where to begin. And, and I remember as, it, as both the ball and the headhunter were coming, it was this recognition in my head going, no. It's like, please don't put me in this position. I got killed, absolutely killed. And it was a Syracuse guy that was recovered the ball, was Ray Preston, a linebacker. <laughs> And he was he is a couple of years ahead of me, and I didn't play with him. I had to have the pleasure, but he was a great player. But I'll never forget, I got crushed by my own Syracuse alumnus. And I all I could think of was the next time when Chuck asked for volunt, you know, who you know on the kickoff return, he he stopped. He said, "Wolfley, how's your hands?" And I I, re, I replied very truthfully, "Coach, they're suspect." <laughs> so. Lord Jesus, I mean, and here's my here's my thing. You've now let me know that you're the precursor to why we have a hands team now. This whole story now says, you know what? Wolfie did change the game. He made sure I'm a game changer, never, baby. That's right. He made sure linemen were never on the front line for a hands team ever again. Beautiful. All right, that's a wrap for the first hour. Now we know the genesis of why offensive linemen aren't on the hands team. We'll be back with more after this in the locker room. You got Wolf Starks and the Ninjas right here.